0: Welcome to the Ralph Shaheen Show presented by Lucas Oil. Lucas Oil is track proven race ready. You can find a Lucas Oil retailer by going to lucasoil.com. Our guest today on the Ralph Shaheen Show presented by Lucas Oil, one of the best sprint car racers in the country, is already in the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum. He is the winningest driver in the history of the famed Knoxville Raceway with 112 victories in Knoxville and a 410 sprint car, Six. In a 360 sprint car, four Knoxville National victories, and one victory in the Knoxville's uh, 360 Nationals. Of course, talking about the dude, Daniel Lasoski. Dude, how you doing today?
1: My man, Ralph. Thank you very much for having us on your show. I really appreciate it, buddy. Well, I was all out of people. <laughs> you know what? You'll have that big-time motor racing. <laughs> when you just got to get to the bottom of the bucket, you just call your old buddy. Don't that, you? That's
0: it. I had to start right there by picking on you early, and they'll be uh, coming often, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't have it any other way. Hey, for those that don't know, how did you get the nickname, the dude? I got it the very day that I was born. I was in the hospital. And you know, back in my day, and I'm not old. I'm just seasoned. Uh, they used to <laughs> stick you in that incubator. And my great-grandfather come in and took me out of there and walked up and down the hall with me and said, the nurse would say, sir, you can't do that. And he said, no, this is my little dude. And I'm taking him anywhere I want to take him. And that's, it's stuck.
0: Well, that nickname is sure taking you a long way and, and to a lot of high places, uh, but it didn't start out that way in fact you worked in a bullet factory explain that
1: <laughs> I actually worked building combines right before that welding up frames of combines and then uh, got the opportunity to build bullets for the uh, government and I built 762, uh caliber bullets and lake city army ammunition lake city army ammunition plant worked there for six years and uh, I was a maintenance man that put all the primers in the shells for the army so I hope all the good soldiers out there that we love and support never had any failures because a lot of them i put primers in.
0: <laughs> how does a guy from dover missouri and i remember you taking me through there once and showing me the population sign it was 101 when you were in town uh 100 when you were going off racing how does a guy <laughs> out of little dover missouri building bullets and combines get to be such a winning uh, driver behind the wheel of a sprint car
1: I, I i call it just just dumb luck i guess i a hard-headed polish person that. um Wanted to race at the highest level that I could, and uh, I owe that to my dad and my uncle Tom Corbin. Uh, my uncle Tom Corbin was, you know, in the, the day he was very, very good and won a bunch of races in Midwestern as well as my dad. And from as long as I can remember, I was uh, the the race cars were kept in our shop at home, and uh, I was around him from day one and just fell in love with it. And I actually started with a buddy of mine, Curtis Evans. He was driving, and I just went with him all the time, and I. Just told my dad i said I, I think i want to try this and he goes okay if you want to try it he says i'm with you 100 i'm not going to spend five cents you're going to do it with your own money he said uh i'll work around the clock as long as you're in the shop I'll Work 6 a.m 6 a.m if you want to as soon as you want to start chasing women drinking beer raising hell he said i'm going in the house you can just do it on your own and that's how it started
0: that of course is your father george uh and, and then you started racing around how long did it take before you discovered knoxville
1: well, my dad had a strict rule. He said, uh, "You're not going there uh, until I think you're ready." And and um, I was kind of kind of wild when I first started. I hit everything but the pace truck and tore up a lot of things. But once when you're fitting the bill, you learned at a quick quick age that uh, this stuff costs a lot of money. And back then, we built everything in the shop from you know build our own nerf bars, bumpers. Just that's how I taught myself how to weld, uh, big weld, and uh, it just started there. So I I raced. Uh, for a couple of years, and then I got got a lucky break from Mr. Bob Derry, he called me and said, um, um, I understand that you, you would uh, like to run Knoxville. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I just want to run Knoxville on Saturday nights. He said, you can run your own car anywhere you want to go. He said, come get uh, all my stuff, and that's how it started, Ralph. He gave me the opportunity.
0: What was it about Knoxville that was always magical for you?
1: Um, Growing up, uh, I never got a chance to go up there very much because we raced in Missouri a lot. And I always heard about the, the Knoxville Nationals. And, and if you're ever going to make it in sprint car racing, you got to go there. And I, it, it was overwhelming. You know, I started in 1984. And it, it, it was overwhelming how fast, because I've never been on a racetrack. Before. And the, from the very first time I went there, we adapted quickly. And as I, I said, I just fell in love with the place. And, and the good part is, it was, it's kind of my second home. The, the fans up there kind of took me under the wing, because... It was a big rivalry between Missouri guys with, with the uh, all the wells against everybody in Iowa when we first, you know, back in the day. And then when I came in there, they just kind of took me under their wing.
0: For a racetrack that's so big and fast, and you used to run up the high side, you spent really the bottom of the racetrack is where you really gained some of your biggest wins. Why did you shift from the top of the track down to the bottom?
1: <laughs> it I, again, we'll we'll call it dumb luck because when I run there weekly, um, you had guys. You know, and I named a couple of names with Rocky Hodges. And you'd have uh, Randy Smith. They, back in the day, Leonard McCarl was probably the car owner to beat there. Yeah. And them guys would just run on the top as hard as they could go. And, and it was virtually impossible to beat them. And I just made my mind up. I've really got to try something to do something different to beat these guys because it's not getting it done if you follow them. And I just got on to a, a little rhythm and, and got working with it, and kept working with it, and found out that if you, are patient enough to run the bottom you can actually beat these guys and that's how i got on it
0: so when you talk about patience to run the bottom in oxo what does that entail because you're working the brake and the gas aren't you
1: often you, you're actually on the brake way more than anybody anticipates you are and and you have to, you have to it's a give and take you have to understand that you can't approach the corner on the bottom and, and with the speed that you do on the top so you have to give up on entry to, to make up from the center off and that's where the patience comes in you got to because you can overdrive it and just sit there and spin and and you ruined your whole lap. So you really got to have uh, mental patience to run it, and it just seemed to work for us. Because I have patience for nothing else in my life.
0: Well, that's for sure, and it's been proven time and again, haven't you? <laughs> oh, you just had to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty easy. You teed that one right up. When you discovered it, did you did you know what you had found? Is it like finding the fountain of youth, if you will? Did you you found the bag of gold at the end of the rainbow? Because that's really when the winds really started to rack up, didn't they?
1: They, they sure did. And, you know, no. I, I took a rational ship. to be honest with you. Uh, everybody says, oh, you, you know, you're, you don't have the big balls to run up on top. And you're going to run to the bottom. You keep running to the bottom. You know, they end up saying, oh, you're, you're a catfisher. You run down there. And then I kept looking at my bank account. And it kept getting bigger. So I, I could take <laughs> the ribbon pretty good.
0: Yeah. Is, is that what you're most proud of? Is it the amount of wins or maybe the way you got them? you know developing something different in knoxville
1: it's um i think it goes hand in hand there's um this sport is near and dear to me you know right now uh i can see that more since i've backed off racing of uh, driving part of it i love this sport and, and i i honestly god didn't really think about what we were accomplishment when we were winning them and how, how we were winning i just know that um i was being able to run the bottom of the racetrack when Virtually nobody else could stick and drive, and we we drive by guys. We you know, if we were start eighth, tenth, twelfth, and and you know back in the day, I was running Guy guy forbrooks far with alcohols uh, Gertie engines, and we had one of the best engine programs around. So that would that didn't hurt either.
2: There
0: are other drivers that came to Knoxville, Steve Kinzer, for example, Donnie Shots, who didn't necessarily do it the same way you do. Although Donnie's probably been a little bit more versatile and done a little bit of both. Um, what was it? How different was it battling a guy like Kinzer then for those wins when you knew he was going to go upstairs?
1: Well, a guy like him, he, he is, he's, he's the GOAT. He's the best of all time. And Steve, you know, maybe he didn't run the bottom a lot, but he, he could. He, you know, he, he, would, he was the guy that was real versatile. He could go wherever. And this showed back in the days from winning all the Knoxville Nationals that he won.
0: Could you use that style at other facilities, or was that a Knoxville-only type of uh, trick?
1: Oh, no, it's uh, it's paid off. Of like a, a, The bigger racetracks like Terre Haute and, you know, the, you know, you see races won at Williams Grove now on the bottom. Uh, Eldora, it's got better and better. Before Tony changed the banking, you had to run the, the fence. But now you see we can move over to make racing way better there. But more and more, I see it. That the, the bottom come coming to play a lot more.
0: We're going to be right back to talk more with Danny Lisowski about racing sprint cars. Lucas Oil are great sponsors here on the Ralph Sheen Show presented by Lucas Oil. This is their toolbox buddy. It does a lot of wonderful things you can use it for just about everything. So check out Lucas Oil at lucasoil.com. Get the latest and the greatest Lucas Oil product. We'll be right back with more Danny Lisowski. Hey, Sprint Car fans, it's Ralph Shaheen, and like you, I love Sprint Car Racing. For the best coverage of Sprint Cars, Midgets, and more, there's no better way to keep up on our favorite sport than having a subscription to Sprint Car and Midget magazine. Don't miss out. Sign up now at SprintCarAndMidget.com.
1: Working for Hendrick Automotive Group is different from any company I've ever worked for. We're more like a family. Working at Hendrick Automotive Group, I matter. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just a job. It is a career. Being a service technician is a great career choice because you get a sense of gratitude when you get to fix something. It puts a big smile on my face just knowing I've accomplished something every day working there.
0: With a variety of dealerships nationwide, you can become part of a great team. Apply today at workathendrick.com. Well, he's accomplished quite a bit behind the wheel of his sprint car, of course. We're talking about National Sprint Car Hall of Fame member, Daniel Lasosky. If you'd like to find out everything that's happening in the world of sprint car racing, Sprint Car Midget is your magazine. It is the leader in covering that genre of racing. Danny, I know you've appeared on the cover of this magazine numerous times, haven't you?
1: Yes, sir. We have. And it's, a, it's an honor. If you tell you the truth, it's just a complete honor.
0: Well, sprint car midget. If you'd like to find out more of what's happening in the world of sprint car midget racing, you can check us out at SprintCarAndMidget.com. Danny, these days, you've uh, are you do you consider yourself fully retired from racing? Are you still keeping an eye on it if the right opportunity <laughs> opens?
1: I, I really don't know. To be honest with you, <laughs> right now I'm enjoying what I'm doing, uh, coaching this young kid Mason Daniels, and see uh, exactly what he's going through. And I can see I I'm I'm kind of living through his eyes because I was there once, and it's and you think that everybody's just beating you up, and, you you know, it's, it's a hard road, and just, just the tough guys are going to prevail, and I've been trying to relay that to him.
0: How different is that road from when you came out of that bullet factory uh, trying to get your career started with your uncle and your dad, and, and then you come across a young driver like Mason, and the, what is in front of him? Is the road similar, or is it completely different?
1: It's completely different because uh, the road I took, uh, all I had was my helmet bag and seat and a whole bunch of enthusiasm. Uh, Mason, I I tell him, I said, you're very, very fortunate. You have a mother and father that supports you 100% and giving him an opportunity to do this. And the biggest thing is your head's not on a chopping block. You're not going to get fired.
0: So how do you get that kind of a situation to come to fruition? I mean, you talked about the challenges you had to deal with. It sounds like Mason has a whole different uh, minefield in front of
1: him. Well, I mean, you can't even compare the two because the back in the day when I started, we you could win and lose races uh, in the garage, and there wasn't a an astronomical amount of uh, rules where you could you could kind of uh, work in the gray area, if you will, and get a get an advantage. Well, with the world of outlaws now, you you a guy can buy anything. You don't have to build anything. You can buy whatever engines, whatever uh, shocks, whatever whatever cars. Guy can just go out and buy it. So they've kind of limited what we can do in the, in the shop to get an advantage. So now you've got to work with uh, getting your car balanced and the air that we're going so fast now with these Board of Sprint Cars that I know everyone out there gets tired of hearing uh, air dependent, dirty air, but it, is, it affects these cars as much as any other racing, you know, from cup cars on down.
2: It really does.
0: So how do you feel a young man should get started if he ch- wants to chase a dream like you did in sprint car racing today?
1: Uh, my opinion is, if you want to race the best and be the best, race the best. You're under the World of Outlaws. That's my opinion. I think uh, I explained to Mason and his father. I so said, "Look, I know this—we're throwing them to the wolves, but you have to race these guys. If you ever expect to be as good as them, you're only as fast as the guy you race. And we got to take our knocks, and you—you you got to be willing to take the good with the bad. And right off the get-go, it's going to be more bad than good."
0: What's the hardest part to learn? Is it the variety of racetracks? Because every night you're somewhere completely different. Or is it just figuring out the car, or is it the guys that you have to race against?
1: Well, virtually you've covered them all there, Ralph. It's all the well, above, I know but that, but for, I mean, for, which one is for, which one's for, the, the
0: biggest challenge?
1: The biggest challenge for Mason is going from a three hundred and sixty to a four hundred and ten, because you're thinking about a motor is a hundred pounds lighter, two hundred horsepower uh, weaker, and you, the things are happening way quicker when you put a, a nine hundred horsepower motor in there and hundred pounds lighter getting used to the reaction of things going happening so much faster than a 360. So it's a big transition for a guy like him for 19 years old.
0: I think it was Steve Kinzer who used to say uh, in sprint car racing you have to see it before it actually happens. If, if you see it and then you react it's too late.
1: Correct. That's exactly right. It's a, it's, your, your eyes have, it's almost like you need four eyes in your head. But that's, that's how things, got, you have to get, you have to trust it and go with your first instinct because if you think about it it's over with so
0: is that the thing then danny as a driver gets older in the game that uh is the hardest thing to hang on to the vision of the game and the ability think, to react yeah, in, in I, advance
1: it, the vi- yeah the vision the vision and your reaction time is is key to being successful in a sprint car so you know when when guys get older in age and and uh and also when you get older in age you don't heal like you did when you're 30 and you and you flip Halfway down the backstretch, stretch, you, you
0: don't heal as quick. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Your career took a big change with the Slick 50 Sprint Car World Series. Uh, it did a lot for a lot of drivers. That was a Sprint Car Series in the very early 90s. Took place out in Arizona the first year at what was then Manzanita uh, Raceway, and then the following year over a Canyon in Peoria, Arizona. Ten races over the winter. I was a part of it. You were a part of it. A lot of drivers who were very strong regionally suddenly were on a national stage. How did that change your world?
1: Well, it did change my career. I mean, I can't think of one thing more than that changed it. I mean, that made it um, accelerated because you can think about it. We run 10 races in the winter. Majority of America was stuck back in the snow and the cold back in the Midwest. That's all they did was tune in and watch it. So it, I think it escalated the sport of sprint car racing as well as our careers.
0: What's the one story you remember out of that? Anyone in particular?
1: Not that I can tell on your show. (laughs) 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 I just had like, just our like meeting you and and having a relationship that we have now. I mean, that's that's a bond that that we we created over the sprint car. I mean, you can't make that. We've been friends for a long time and it was because of that. So that's probably one of the things I'll cherish.
0: I appreciate you saying that. Was there a moment on the racetrack? That you felt like made the difference was it something about the racing for you that made Daniel Lysoski a, a national name, or was it the type of fun that we used to have off off the racetrack during those ten weeks? Because a lot of that was filmed and included right. in those shows.
1: I hope it was it was a little of both because it definitely showed to to not only to our team but to everybody back here that we were getting the job done on the racetrack it showed the personal side of me too off the track. And I think that goes hand in hand and it really, really, like I told you, it escalated my career for sure.
0: Was there a, a moment on the racetrack there that stands out to you that you go, well, that was a, that was a big one.
1: Um, n- not, not so much there. I mean, I know we, we ran, we never won one, but we run second a couple of times. And, and time that you can uh, be in front of the camera and tell your story, I think it's a, it's a win-win.
0: Was the biggest moment in your career the first win in Knoxville then?
1: Absolutely. The The biggest day was uh, we won in 84. I think it was like June 4th, 1984, was the first, very first one there. But nothing can take place, nothing take place of the 90, 1998 Knoxville Nationals. I remember that like it was yesterday.
0: Can you put into words for people that will never have a chance to experience that, what that was all about for you, having, you know, Chase, that dream of just racing there on a Saturday night is one thing, uh, and winning there is another. But then to win the nationals themselves had to be, uh, you know, just the end of a of a dream for you.
1: It's really surreal the way you say it because it's true. I can I can remember driving down the road by myself and had never won a race, um, not an outlaw race or the Knoxville Nationals. Just thinking what what would that would feel like. If you took the checker flag, won the Knoxville Nationals, not only would it feel like, what would you say? I mean, and and believe it or not, you would think to yourself, well, I would say this or I would say that. Believe me, you forget everything. It, it, it was, it's, it just still, right now, it still puts, uh, puts a chill on me just talking about it. It's, it's that, was that exciting and it means that much to me.
0: That was one of those nights where you thought maybe they were going to bring the grandstands to the ground
1: after that victory. <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty loud. And it was, and it is, and when you have that much, uh, enthusiasm w- with your fans and, and, and all the camaraderie you had afterwards, it uh, you can't put a price on that.
0: Was it one of those things that was harder to win the first one or to win the second, third, or fourth?
1: Well, obviously the first one because you never, never, you know, you always say, oh, I want to win this, I want to win this, I'm doing everything I can to win it. But when it actually happens, then everything, your whole life changes. It's a life change when it's not just a career change.
0: You know, when you win that many races at a place like that, uh they almost start to get tired of you doing it, though, don't they? Uh, yeah, there was a couple. There was a couple
1: years in there that I got booed a little bit because we were winning. But um, I think Wolfgang said, as long as they're cheering, doesn't matter if they're booing or cheering for you or booing you. At least, at least they're yelling for you.
0: You know that had to be a little hard to take, though, wasn't it? I mean, like you said, you're not a guy who's very patient. Uh, how did you handle that?
1: It. I tried to be the tough guy and say, "Oh, it didn't bother me." But it. I'm telling you the truth. It did bother me. It, uh, it was, you know, you, you try to be it's the least I did. When I got to the racetrack, I come for one reason that was to win. And sometimes, uh, when you win a lot, the fans, you know, Donnie shots went through that. They, they booed Donnie shots. Steve Kinser with it. I actually remember the days that they they hired an airplane to say anybody, but Kinzer. Yeah. So all the good guys, they, it, they, it's had to them. And you, the best way to handle is just smile and go on and, and keep winning.
0: When you were racing, uh, and you get into a moment on the track, like you said, you you try to play the tough guy. How did you deal with that with the other drivers?
1: Uh, well, I for for me for me it was easy because when I put my helmet on, I was def- I was a definitely a different guy. Um, and and I, I you know to this day I don't take any shit, and I don't think anybody out there does. And you go there for one reason, one reason only, that's to win, and and do the absolute best you can.
0: We're going to be right back to talk with more with the dude after this, right here on the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil.
2: There is less than one hundredth of an inch of motor oil protecting your car's engine We might be a tick over 80 years old, but we have no thoughts on slowing down. And who said reinventing yourself isn't fun? The all new Speedsport.com is here. New layout, new images, new video, and all the late breaking news you expect from America's Motorsports Authority. We know you love sprints, midgets, late models, and everything else that gets dirty. Plus, we've got all your pavement series covered too. The all new Speedsport.com, you know, for guys who really love racing.
1: Working for Hendrick Automotive Group is different from any company I've ever worked for. We're more like a family. Working at Hendrick Automotive Group, I matter. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just a job. It is a career. Being a service technician is a great career choice because you get a sense of gratitude when you get to fix something. It puts a big smile on my face just knowing I've accomplished something every day working there.
0: With a variety of dealerships nationwide, you can become part of a great team. Apply today at at workathendrick.com. Well, the 85th anniversary issue of Speed Sport is out. Yep, started in 1934. The Absolute Motorsports Authority. Check us out at SpeedSport.com. Ralph Sheen, show presented by Lucas Oil. Our guest today is Danny Lasosky, the winningest driver in the history of the Knoxville Raceway. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's got a good sound to it. I love that. Sure does. And there's a guy <laughs> who's chasing you uh, at Knoxville who's uh, a family member. Brian Brown, how do you feel about Brownie?
1: Um, we we laugh about it. He said, hey, every time he wins, he counts it down. I only got this much more to go. I only got this many more to go to catch you. He uh, he. Um, I think he sets his goal. He said what he'd like to when he's done racing. He's like he'd like to have either he he or myself to be on top of the, the one and two on that list. And it'd be it'd be a while for somebody to break it.
0: He watched you a lot. He studied you. He worked as a member of your pit crew for years, just running tires and getting fuel and doing all that kind of stuff, cleaning the mud off the car. What do you think he learned from you that's made the biggest difference?
1: Well, I think, I'd like to take credit for it, but I think he learned it from my dad because my dad ruled with an iron fist. Work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, and the harder you want to work at this sport, the better you're going to be. You're only going to get out of it what you put into it. And I think he's seen how hard it, that my dad and I worked at it to try to build our own team when Tony Tony Stewart and I got this thing together, and we we know now what he what he has done with his team. Um, couldn't be more proud of him. And I and he's it ain't if he wins he's going to win a Knoxville National before long.
0: Yeah. What What do you think about the state of sprint car racing these days? Are You happy with where it's at?
1: I mean, we we it could always be better. I I, I and I know this is wishing, and everyone has to come out the promoter, the drivers, but I was I was just wishing there would be more, uh, you know, more bigger events paying like Tony paid 175,000 and Knoxville pays 150 more races like that, more events. Um, back when I was running the first starter, we, we, we made more, it was more 20 and $20,000 events and things like that. So that's what, if I could wish, that's what I wish.
0: Is there anything in particular, uh, Outside of that that you think is wrong, maybe, with the sport right now?
1: I don't think there's anything wrong. I just think we can enhance the that part of it.
0: How about the car? You think the car's in good shape?
1: The rule book? I do. I think they're they're safer now than they have been. You know, with the addition of uh a couple bars that they put on mandated this year for the roll cage, I think has helped and um you're never. These things are never going to be completely safe. They're they, You know, these are sprint cars. These things are 900 plus horsepower at 1200 pounds. But they're going to go fast. But there's there's no there's no sure cure that any kind of racing or or anything and going down the road anything can happen. When the when the good Lord calls your number, it's your time to go.
0: How about the racetracks, Danny? As you said, we're racing a 1200 pound car with 900 horsepower. Have we outdone the racetracks that the sprint cars are competing on these days?
1: Well, there, there definitely is uh, room for for racetracks to make improvements, and and I I do see them doing it, um, making the improvements that they need to. But, uh, you know, the promoters they they've, they've got to make money to be able to make that happen as well. I understand.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? That the World of Outlaws visits some of these places only once, maybe twice a year. For some venues, we're asking right. a lot of a promoter to uh, invest, to match where those cars are, aren't we?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, who do you see as outside of Mason, who obviously that you're working with now? Um, are there any young drivers out there that you think are the future of the sport?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see a lot of good talent. The, the Selzy brothers, Dominic and Gio Selzy, the first ones come to mind. Both those guys are full of talent. Um, I see that. Um, I haven't got a chance to watch this buddy, Koford. I haven't seen him race, but I, I just, I've been seeing the the videos of him going well. But you know, the world of outlaws now. Um, with uh, gravel shots, sweet, them guys are they're tough anywhere they go. But uh, the, just coming to mind, that's I mean, guys better keep an eye on themselves. boys.
0: Yeah, as you uh, look back as to how your career has played out, and to see now that you're you're in the Hall of Fame, uh, nobody's won more races at Knoxville than you. Uh, you satisfied?
1: No, I, I still have the burn to drive. But sometimes you got to look at Father Time in the mirror and say it's it's over and I and I always told myself I wanted to be I wanted to stay in this sport and be able to straighten some young guys learning curve out that had the same desire as I did back in the day to try to help them fulfill their dreams as well
0: well I'd say you're doing that Danny thanks uh really appreciate you joining us today on the Ralph Shaheen show presented by Lucas Oil
1: anytime Ralph anytime whatsoever nice talking to you pal
0: okay buddy thanks folks for joining us today we'll see you soon at the races